Welcome to How Not to DM. I'm your host, Derek. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the very best DMs and GMs on this plane of existence. To help support the show, check out my link tree or show notes for my affiliate links. Also, if you're a content creator and ready to take the next step on your journey, check out episodify.com. Also, if you prefer to watch your shows on YouTube and see me chatting with my guests in person or on video, check out How Not to DM on YouTube. Episodes can be found on the T4C YouTube channel under the How Not to DM playlist. Check out the episode notes or my link tree and make sure to subscribe and tell your friends about the new format if that's your thing. Now, let's jump into this episode's guest intro. Adam, aka AMAC, is one of those brave creators who decided to design a game and record the playtesting of that same game for the internet to hear. His love of Gundam and tabletop role-playing games is combined in Fetty Scum, an actual play podcast with all of his friends using his very own homebrewed system. Enjoy! So uh, I'm Adam. I also go by AMAC online in most places, like on Twitter and stuff like that. As far as my beginning and introduction to like uh, TTRPGs, it's fairly standard. Early high school group of friends. I started as a player. One of my other friends in Deadset Media, Zach, he actually was uh, our primary GM back then. And it was D&D uh, 3.5, if I recall correctly. Since then, gravitated to more... Uh, Dark Heresy, Rogue Trader, Call of Cthulhu. I like me some D100 systems. Kind of, you know, fell into this little thing that I'm doing (laughs) with Fetty Scum. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know if fell is the right word, but we'll explore that later. Figure out the exact origins. Quite the journey, and it sounds like you played a lot of fun games so far. So how did you get into running games then for people? You know, I'm sure you probably had run some games before Fetty Scum, before you decided I'm going to build a system from the ground up and also make a show out of it. So yeah, what was your first experience running games? You kind of remember what the system was, what the group was, how that went? Uh, it was uh, Rogue Trader, Dark Heresy, the Fantasy Flight versions of them. Basically, it was out of necessity. None of my other friends knew enough about 40K to run those systems. And yeah. 40K is uh, it's a big ask. To you'd be like, hey, uh, Zach, Dallas, uh, run this game system in a setting you know nothing about. Learn a lot about the setting and then run it. So instead, it was like, oh, well, I guess naturally I have to be the one to run the game. Did you play any Warhammer then growing up, any 40K, or did you like read, you know, any of the books or anything like that? So I had an uncle who would give me hand me down stuff. He was in and out of being interested in certain things. So, like, I had a a whole SNES with, like, the uh, best games curated and handed to me. Very spoiled in that regard. But it was the PS1 era behind a gen. But similarly, he gave me a lot of 40K stuff, hand-me-down. And that kind of sparked my interest in it. And I got really into the hobby side of it, less so the war game side of it, and kind of fell into love with like painting minis. And this eventually Mm. kind of also bridged into Gumpla, the hobby side of Gundam, which, yeah, yeah, okay, goes hand in hand there with the other half of the story. But that was my intro to 40k and the lore that is kind of included in the rule books, the fluff there. And that led me to Dark Heresy and Rogue Trader. Makes sense. Connecting the dots here. 
in all of your experience running games from Rogue Trader to your current system, what are you calling your current system, by the way, so I can just refer to it by the name? Are you just calling it, you know? <laughs> Tentatively, right now, it's called Operation V, and that's because it's a Universal Century Gundam reference. It's what the project that built the first Gundam was called. Smart. It's a good call. Operation V. I will just call it that from now on, so long as I remember. <laughs> so, you know, running Operation V, running Rogue Trader, that kind of thing. What are some of the big mistakes you feel like you've made or lessons you had to learn the hard way when you first started running games or even, you know, more recently that you feel like folks at home could learn a little bit from? I think a big mistake that a lot of people make, and this was one that I had issue with, was controlling campaign scope and player scope. And so you can't just tell your friends, uh, hey, we're doing a, you know, a Call of Cthulhu game, uh, roll up a character and show up. You got to be a little bit more specific about the scope. So, you know, hey, we're running, I'm running a Call of Cthulhu game. It's going to be set in Maine at a university. You're all going to be students or faculty. And you know, there's been disappearances around the campus. You need to have a reason why you're looking into this. Something that binds the party. And I, I use Call of Cthulhu as an example because it's a common one that people have issues with. Of After you solve your first big mystery, the group kind of has no reason to stay together. Unless mm -hmm. they really hit it off. It's just good to keep that in mind. What you want your campaign to be and what players will fit into that as you pitch it to them so that they make characters that kind of immediately have buy-in to what you're going to be running. Especially when it's a brand new game, it's good to all be on the same page so that mm -hmm. they engage immediately with the plot and they're not aimlessly wandering or not gelling with the rest of the group. Tone can be massively off as well if you're not mm. clear on the tone. For example, before Pulp Cthulhu existed, Cthulhu had a bit of a, a small issue of some players wanting to kind of play Indiana Jones punching people and other people wanting to play like detectives who weren't so punchy. This sometimes led to kind of uh, complications in the direction things were uh, meant to go. Yeah, very much a different game than a lot of other tabletops that are hack and slash if you haven't played Call of Cthulhu out there, then I suggest that the starters set is pretty cheap and D100s are really fun. It's a fun system. I would also say, like, don't overplan. A lot of first time DMs overplan. I was overplanning a lot my mm -hmm. first game that I wanted to run. And even for something like Call of Cthulhu, you don't have to overplan that much. A lot of the planning that people go to is like treating it like it's a sandbox game. And that's okay if it's a sandbox game, but most people don't play like that. Most people kind of adhere to a narrative structure and you can really cut down on the amount of time you spend planning and writing outlines and stuff by you know following along with those assumptions. Awesome. All right. As far as really fun memories, good memories that have happened in your games that come to mind without, you know, obviously giving us too big of spoilers on, <laughs> on Fetty Scum, if you if you can. Yeah. What are some of your favorite moments at the table that have happened and maybe some of the lessons that you could give to people from those good things? There's this arc in Fetty Scum called, well, referred to as the Miami arc, where they are in the uh, going kind of AWOL after a certain character's death. Don't want to get into specifics. Yeah, yeah. They wind up in the destroyed uh, what's left of Miami. The group is kind of uh, a little down in the dumps, obviously. There's a rising tension because there is a spy in the group. It's meta knowledge. The players know who the spy is, but the characters don't. And so there's kind of a, a dramatic irony causing tension throughout every scene. And it just kind of increases as this arc kind of went on. 
along with several NPCs kind of trying to get at the spy or align themselves with the spy as the spy makes an attempt to uh, defect to safety, basically. Mm -hmm. So the tension was slowly racketing up. And yeah, it just... It turned out really well. And I think the the key ingredients, because I've been thinking, I, I, I went back to this arc a lot. And I think the key ingredients was there's very little combat, but the stakes were there and the stakes were reiterated upon again and again. Kind of a Chekhov's gun situation. It was everyone knew that when this happened, when this line was crossed, it would be chaos. People would start fighting each other. Player yeah. versus player. Playing with that tension, dragging it on and slowly increasing it. The whole boiling a crab or lobster analogy. Mm. You slowly burn it, like bringing up the heat so they don't notice, I think applies. A personal takeaway is how to handle tension, keeping it slower and building to it. Just really got to emphasize the stakes. It's very hard to build tension slowly across multiple sessions and episodes and stuff. So mm -hmm. hats off to you and to the players for not using that metagame information. I feel like it's an easy trap to fall into for them to immediately try to address it somehow. Like, well, my character is going to notice this or that or, you know, ask you this pointed question that's going to dig up whatever thing you're hiding. So definitely hard to pull off. But I feel like when you do, like you said, it, it can feel really good. Thankfully, they were all really good sports. They inched toward the conclusion themselves. Right. They themselves did not want to overstep that line, but they knew that there was fun in approaching it as close as they could to make a scene very palpable. You talked about overplanning earlier, so this is kind <laughs> of in that same vein. Has there ever been a time where a player has just totally destroyed your best laid plans with one decision or one roll of the die, and you've had to think on your feet quickly and, and remedy it? There was a lot of early examples because I was over planning initially, but by the time I got to Fetty Scum, I was kind of in the, um, I have a hard rule of uh, don't spend more than one page of real estate outlining what an ep a given episode session will be. Uh -huh. And that's just a good guideline that I go by. But one thing in Fetty Scum that tripped me up pr pretty massively uh, was uh, the player's I don't know how to say this in a good way. They basically kidnapped an NPC <laughs> that I was not intending on making a permanent member of the cast. Okay. It was more of taking him as a prisoner of war for information. He was kind of reluctant in terms of being an enemy combatant, not the most loyal in the first place, but uh, they were kind of coercing him into joining their side. And that was not a thing I had really considered. And this character turned out to be a fan favorite and a player favorite, and ended up massively paying off, like developing this character additionally to, than what I had planned for them, which was like two throwaway lines of uh, <laughs> development, pretty much, and just right. being kind of a kind of a reoccurring joke of a mostly incompetent pilot who's a little bit of a pushover. Mm -hmm. It turned out to be one of the emotional hard points of the series. <laughs> <laughs> Funny how it happens. Uh, this question is. Uh, I mean, I don't know how applicable it is because your whole system is being built from the ground up. Obviously, mm -hmm. I know you've got, uh, you know, more than a framework at this point, but are there any house rules, homebrew rules you want, you like to include in your games that you feel like make things more fun or add to the narrative richness or, you know, anything like that, that, that you, you want to pass mm -hmm. on to people? Specifically with Operation V and Fetty Scum, yeah. I can get into it a little bit later because there's a okay. bit of a dilemma I ran into in de uh, developing it and doing the podcast. 
But in terms of like things that I do with other games, table games that I'm not recording, yeah, I try to keep my players talking in character as much as possible. Uh-huh. I wouldn't say I go so far as to punish them when they they speak right. out of character, but um, <laughs> is it just kind of a, a rule, or like do you do something to reinforce that? I have in character NPCs acknowledge what they said out of character as in character dialogue. Usually it's funny, haha, and uh, it's not too big of a deal. But sometimes in tense scenes, it means blurting out something that you were trying to keep secret and it changes the dynamic of a scene. For example, going back to Call of Cthulhu here, in games like that that are very social games, the flow and control of information and clues very, very important. And so you want to keep people in character as much as possible. In other games, it's not that important. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. But in Call of Cthulhu, I would say, like, do little tricks like that to keep your players kind of on task and in character. Another thing is if they're debating amongst themselves about what their next course of action should be, and they seem to have lost the urgency that would be in the scene, they're dropping kind of out of character. Because in real life, there would be a sense of urgency if zombies are knocking down your door. So another thing that I do is just set a timer for like two minutes and put it on the table. Don't say anything. An hourglass. I've seen older DMs use an hourglass. That's a fun one. But uh, you can just use your phone. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Same effect, same effect. And Mm -hmm. I like it, especially, you know, making a show that's meant to be listened to, I'm sure it's it's important to emphasize that everyone's talking in character because that's what you use for the show. Right. And, and a show like Fetty scum again, we'll, we'll get more into it, but mm-hmm. you emphasize at the beginning that it's, it's more on the side of audio drama and that's what it you is were going more curated. for. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And now a word from how not to DM sponsors. First up RPG match. RPGmatch.org is a site dedicated to helping you get matched up with tabletop role-playing game players who like to play like you do. You can select games you're interested in playing, customize your preferred playstyle, and find dozens of folks to fill up your table. RPGmatch.org. Don't roll the dice on who you play with. Signing up for RPGmatch.org is 100% free, and you can head down to the show notes right now and click on a link which will allow you to add the How Not to DM badge to your profile. That way you can find other fans and listeners of the show and trust them that much more. Check it out. Also, a quick shout out to Episodify, the people who helped me produce this show. If you are looking for someone to help you edit your YouTube content, TikTok content, reels, shorts, podcasts, Whatever it might be, Episodify is ready to help you out. They have packages for people who need more or less editing hours during each month. And if you buy more, then you can save more on the editing hours you buy. So if you're a content creator who needs a little extra help or you've started making some money and you're ready to take that editing burden off your lap, then check out Episodify.com. Last but not least, the holidays are coming up, and if you're trying to shop for that nerd in your life, or that child in your life, or yourself, and you can't decide what to buy them, they want dice. Go to adventuredice.ca. Right now, they're doing pre-orders on their advent calendar dice. So they have 24-day advent calendars, 31-day advent calendars, 8-day advent calendars. These are perfect for whatever winter holiday you celebrate, and each day you'll get a new pretty dice to add to your collection, and they're really not too expensive either. This is one of their best-selling items. They always sell out of these things. So pre-orders are happening now for shipping very soon before the holiday season. 
Again, that's adventuredice.ca. And if you use the code HN, the number two DM at checkout, you'll get a little discount for yourself and help support the show at the same time. So get those nerds in your life, some dice that you know they want and happy holidays. Thanks so much for listening to the words from all of those sponsors. The sponsors help keep the show running, keep the lights on. Now, let's jump into Quickfire Chaos. Welcome to Quickfire Chaos! This week on Quickfire Chaos, I'm putting AMAC through the ringer by generating some random mobile suits from a generator I found online, and he is going to tell me how he would stat those mobile suits using his homebrewed, homegrown system. This site is called shindonmaker.com. I have no idea what that means, but I know that it says mobile suit Gundam generator, and that's that's all I care about. So I'm going to do your name first. And okay. let's see right. what it generates. It says primary color white, secondary color green, power plant, drive tau. Oh, okay. <laughs> armaments, a- scattering mega particle cannons, and <laughs> a heat. I don't know what that word is. Shotel? Special heat armaments. Special armaments, yeah. Rocket anchor, special systems, biocomputer system. Okay, bio-computer is this system. is this anything? You know, is this like different <laughs> um, than what you've got in well, your game? Could the, you do something the, with this? The the Transam capable drive is a double O thing, <laughs> and that's a uh-huh. that's a different AU. It would be high, highly mobile, <laughs> really fast. Yeah. So it would have a really high mobility score. Armaments wise, for scattering, I, I I do have a uh, kind of a blast type weapon description similar to Zweihander with traits. Scattering mega particle cannons could have that blast, so that when you uh, generate a certain number of successes beyond what is required, that scores additional hits, and you can spread it out to multiple targets. Things uh, like okay. that. Biocomputer systems. I haven't quite gotten to that yet. That's a thing that yeah. does appear in Zeta. It's going to improve new type abilities in some capacity. We just started doing our Zeta season, and I'm not sure exactly how to do that other than like maybe a flat buff to uh, your new type abilities and things like that, or an increase of your new type rating overall. So in other words, out of your mobile suit, you might have a lower new type rating, but in it, it might be treated as a higher rating. I think of that as like a um, spell level, I guess, okay. would be a nearest equivalent yeah. for people who don't know Gundam stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when I read Biocomputer, it kind of made me think of Neon Genesis Evangelion, you know. Uh, it's uh, not that insane, right. but it's uh, it's more of a compatibility <laughs> thing. Right. Uh, <laughs> could could be very weird, though. If less, anyone... less of your mom, more of... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, I'm going to do my name now. All is right. it any different? Okay, this could be interesting. So mine is blue and gray. Again, Tau, Again? Uh, Drive... Uh, Trans Am capable um, drive tau, which is interesting. Again, particle cannon, uh, and then a beam trident, which is pretty cool. I'm sure you've got rules for those, right? I do actually. One of my characters is using a uh, well. He calls it a beam bident. Oh, just two, it's only, two prongs. It's only two, but a third one attaches it. I don't know why he <laughs> went there. He was going for this pirate vibe but he could just have a trident but uh, whatever Uh, back to the tags considering that's like the only major difference there 
it'll have like a beam tag, which kind of affects how easily it chews through armor that is not specifically designed to defend against beam weaponry. And then a trident being, it would be melee three, which means up to three successful hits of damage every degree of success you have over the initial. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Uh, psycho frame cockpit. Does that mean anything to you? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I didn't. I Good. missed that part. That no. is uh, that's a bit later in the UC. Uh, uh-huh. I haven't gotten there yet, but it would be in a similar situation as the biocomputer, where it's going to improve your new type rating or increase the effects of it. I would say with psycho frame, it would increase the effects. Your 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 overall rating probably wouldn't be treated as being higher. You're going to have the same abilities that you would have normally, but they're going to be treated uh, as potentially vastly, vastly more powerful. I don't know if I want to go into it. Uh, <laughs> someone pushes back an asteroid from hitting Earth at some point in Gundam Very using cool. that. Someone travels in time, for lack of a better explanation. So it'd be pretty powerful. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's kind of in-game stuff <laughs> on that <laughs> on that level. <laughs> All right. Uh, the last one I did is I just used the name Fetty Scum, and this is quite different than you and I's uh, original. Oh, okay. So let's let's check out this one. Okay. Gold is the primary color. Secondary color is white. Power plant is a Minovsky Ultra Compact Fusion Reactor. Now that's normal. That's a normal uh-huh. reactor. <laughs> Armaments, double barrel beam, Gatling gun, and battle axe. Pretty cool. Uh, shield. It's a new type destroyer system, the special system or feature. Oh, yeah. okay. Starting off, the gold color scheme might just be a gold color scheme, but also there mm. is color schemes in UC Gundam that help reflecting beam weaponry, and it happens to also be gold. So that could okay. be a factor in there that could factor yeah. into equipment. Like I said, the Minovsky Ultra Compact Fusion Reactor would be more of a normal reactor you would see in UC Gundam and Opfi, and so it would have more of a normal value there. Double beam barrel, once again, it would be beam up to two free hits, and probably a lot more considering it's a Gatling gun, so you have a high rate of fire, so whenever you have a high rate of fire, that means you want to increase that limit on that tag so that if they score a high degree of successes, they get a high degree of hits to represent the high rate of fire. Battle axe would probably be fairly normal melee weapon. Mm-hmm. Maybe the Gundam equivalent of cleave. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Shields I keep as uh, disposable one-hit throwaway defense items, and so they are part of like, your equipment. You can arm your, or you can have one when you go up, but it's only one use. Pretty much, and so cool. uh, you have to get them replaced. It's a little bit of a joke on the fact that Armoro in the original Gundam was constantly throwing away his shields, and that they'd get hit once and slightly damage, and he'd just toss them aside and leave them <laughs> wherever. Yeah. Now, the new type destroyer system, that is also an in-game kind of thing. It's from Gundam Unicorn, fairly late you see from where I'm at. It would be pretty interesting. It kind of hijacks other mobile suit psycho frame and psychomu mm. systems and so if you're fighting other new types in mobile suits and they're controlling stuff psychically you can hijack that from them and use it yourself that's pretty cool kind of mm-hmm. like hacking in and and yeah yeah that's pretty cool yeah i i think that was pretty fun i mean hopefully it gave yeah, you a yeah. few <laughs> things to think about you know even if you don't have rules for them yet and uh oh, some of that was far off and it was the first time i ever thought about how i would implement it right here right now so that's perfect that's that's <laughs> what it was meant to do the only gundam i've ever watched is gundam wing on toonami when i was a kid in my buddy scott's basement 
and uh, then we build them out of Legos. So that's but but <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, 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 cool. So yeah, we've talked about it already. We've mentioned mm-hmm. it by name. Tell us about Fetty Scum. So the idea came initially from me being very bored at work. And I began listening to podcasts. I had a desk job at the time. I was not a barista. I'm a barista now. But I used to work a desk job as a uh, web developer, programmer, UI, UX, stuff like that. Kind of full stack, honestly. Uh, yeah, not paid like full it. stack, sadly. Uh. Um, but um, so I listened to a lot of Did you build the website podcasts. then? The Fetty Scum uh, website? The, the current Fetty Scum website? I mean, you could say build. I used a, a I used a very nice little package to create it. I Still don't take good. the hard way unless I have to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Most things. So I had a lot of time sitting at my desk not doing much. A lot of wait time on other developers. A lot of wait time on management to give me the okay. A lot of wait time on uh, end users to test. And so I had a lot of time to burn. And I spent that time listening to actual play podcasts, which I had just kind of discovered. In Uh particular, my favorite at the time was uh, The Adventure Zone, their very first arc. I think it's called Balance. They named it afterwards, I think. I don't think they had a name when they were going through it. But I started listening to that, and I enjoyed it immensely. thought it was very good. And I sent it to Dallas for Dallas to listen to while he worked. Dallas got into it well and enjoyed it immensely as well. By that time, I had finished and I had started like looking around. And so had Dallas for other actual plays. And mm-hmm. uh, Dallas kind of noticed that outside of some of the big names, that most of them were not very curated experiences. Most of them were very Mike in a room recording a game for four hours straight bathroom breaks included and dallas kind of when he realized that called me and was like hey this seems uh like we could probably do it better and so he asked me like would you be interested in doing it and i I agreed that like oh yeah we probably could do it better dallas had already had a good wealth of experiences like an audio engineer and an editor Mm. and i had a decent amount of experience dming at that point that i knew that i could probably wrangle together a good size uh, session for a uh, chunk for an episode. It's very digestible, easy enough to edit and mostly fulfilling content as opposed to, okay, well now we're going shopping. And then, you know, everyone spends the half of the actual play episode shopping. So Dallas broached me with it. I agreed on a condition that I'll get to later, (laughs) but now it is a uh, podcast that has run for technically four seasons, even though we're only on our, third season of the show proper we have a whole bonus season that we don't really count so we've played through the one year war we've played through uh 83 which is called stardust and we've just started zeta and we had an au for g gundam which was a very hokey over the top tournament arc very much inspired by the show i will say this though i know your show is relatively family friendly and uh I am not a very family-friendly individual, and neither are my shows. (laughs) So, fair warning. (laughs) I mean, luckily, podcasts are labeled explicit these days, so it's it's pretty easy to track it down. But yeah, that's that's a good warning. And like, my show is family-friendly. Most of my guest shows are not, and so it's it's fine. Like, yeah, I I wouldn't worry too much about it. (laughs) (laughs) So, how did you settle on Gundam then, specifically? And how did you decide, I'm actually going to make my own system as well for this? As to why Gundam is at the time when Dallas gave me this phone call, I was rewatching Universal Century Gundam, a comfort show of mine that I enjoy 
immensely to a very normal degree, I say, pointing at a portrait of my favorite boy from it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So it is a comfort show that is near and dear to my heart. I enjoyed it when I was very young, and uh, it has kind of followed me ever since. And so I was Mm -hmm. in a period of time where I was delving deeper into it once again after kind of not really bothering with it for a few years. So it was on my mind. It was on my mind immensely. And so it was either going to be Gundam or it was going to be 40K. And uh, I went Gundam. Was it a coin flip or was it just, uh, this sounds more interesting? It sounded more interesting. I guess there's a 40K system, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, as to why I didn't uh, use an existing system or hack it, um, it, I looked around at some hacks that were floating out there. I tried to find more viable ones. And I knew that for recording an actual play and keeping the record time down and almost equal to the uh, edit time for the final product, I wanted something that was very narrative focused. And sadly, whenever you say the word mecha around someone who designs TTRPGs, generally speaking, you get uh, mechton zeta, which is uh, kind of a nightmare at times to go through. Very crunchy (laughs) at times. And so uh, I I didn't really find anything that I wanted to use. So I was forced to kind of make it myself. And it's been through several iterations. I would not call myself a um, professional game designer by any means. Right. I'm just doing what I felt was necessary to create the system that I needed. It's funny that you mentioned that the system is much more narrative focused because I feel like given the very small snapshot of Gundam that I've watched, I've watched plenty of other anime and in, you know, other shows out there about this kind of thing. And most of them are not very crunchy about like, well, I've got this thing and you've got that thing. And, you know, like, you know, constant one-upsmanship and like arms race. They're Mm -hmm. more about the stories. Right. And so it feels like there would be a system or, you know, I I guess it, it, what I'm saying is it makes a lot of sense that you're doing it that way because Mm -hmm. it's about the stories. It's not about like, it is about fighting, you know, giant space robots, but like not it is, but necessarily. It isn't. Yeah, yeah. You 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 want it to matter enough, but you don't want it to still to focus away from the characters, and that's kind mm-hmm. of how all the shows are directed. At least um, you could yeah. always delve into additional content to get into like the nitty gritty specifics of a mech, mobile suits, or Gundams in the setting, and it is uh, some of them go quite in depth. Other series like G Gundam. Hey, I don't know how that cowboy football player rides on his flying sur- surfboard and why the Statue of Liberty has a giant laser in it. It just does because it, it was fun to do, apparently. Yeah. All right. So you're designing this system as you run the actual play show. How long before you started the show were you working on the game? You know, what kind of framework did you have in place when you started recording? And then, you know, what's the iteration process been like? How often are you making tweaks? How often are you introducing a bunch of new rules and and that kind of thing to your players? I try to keep the overhauls to each season. Mm, okay. At the end of season one, or well, actually near the middle of it, I did my first big overhaul. Uh, and then at the end of season one, and oh my God. Well, <laughs> that's my cat. Her name is Mina. So at the end of season uh, one, I did an overhaul. At the end of season two, I did an overhaul. But initially, it started with Powered by the Apocalypse. Okay. But I found that that was a little bit limiting. Uh, While Powered by the Apocalypse works really good for people who haven't, like, role-played a lot, uh, the archetypes can be kind of limiting for people who know where they want to take their characters. Mm. If the system doesn't allow for you to change from archetype to archetype kind of easily in a dynamic, natural way. And not many of them do. Most of them kind of expect you to pick up the character and you play them to their end state and then the game's over. 
I kind of moved away from that and moved toward uh, this abomination that I have before me. <laughs> How many pages are you at right now? <laughs> it's surprisingly not that many because I keep removing stuff. Yeah, like 70. Half of that you can cut right now. It'd be fine. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I uh, mean, I, as long I'm, as you know. A big issue that I'm having right now is the game that I want it to be and the game that is best for running a podcast and for actual play are two separate systems. Because mm. what will work best for the actual play is not what will work best for the table, in my opinion. And ultimately, I've decided very recently with this most recent season not to kind of do a um, a separate table version and then just say, well, on the podcast, we use a streamlined version because hey, we have to get the episode recorded and then, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Because I realize that people don't want to play a Gundam TTRPG system, but the people interested in my system want to play what we're playing on Fetty Scum. They don't want to play something right. else. They want to play what we're playing on Fetty Scum. And so I'm in the process of deciding what I want to keep for the depth that I added the last iteration. In your mind, then, what are kind of the big differences between those those two systems and ideas? Uh, so combat used to be a little bit more in-depth. I initially had a very streamlined combat where you just tell me what you want to do, and you basically roll. I tell you the dice description-wise of what to roll, and then based on what you roll, you do it. I then kind of went into more of an action economy thing with a very specific drilled down action economy. Uh, and that felt a little too stifling. And so now I'm kind of in the middle of those two where you do have limits on what you can do, but they're more generalized, kind of down to basically, you know, you have a move, you have an action, you have a, you know, a reaction, et cetera, et cetera. That in turn kind of uh, simplified the uh, mobile suit character sheets. Have you had to think three-dimensionally because of space or have you kind of just kept everything on the same plane like in star trek when every ship meets another ship they're always like wow we're, we're both horizontal right now i looked at solutions to the three-dimensional problem that other games have attempted to make and i didn't like any of them there's no real good solution to it other than if you're not using a map you can use range bands just imagine uh -huh. them as spheres. And that's that's a thing that uh, you know a lot of games use. Uh, and that's probably the uh, the initial approach I'll use, though I, I do plan on having some hard numbers in this current iteration if you wanted to use a map. But for all intents and purposes, the map is two-dimensional. Because, boy, howdy. Oh, <laughs> that's a lot a, to think about. It is, it is. We don't so, want you out here calculating delta V. <laughs> no, no. Doing a bunch of trigonometry and... Uh, geometry and stuff so you mentioned also one of the other shows that you are a part of is called rpg stress test yes. and your friends actually reached out to me a while ago and asked me if you could test some of the stuff that i was working on and so you did a little bonus episode in the springtime running my two hot one shot game which was really fun to watch i i it wasn't streamed right or was it streamed I don't remember if it was streamed. Uh, I know it was video recorded. I wasn't personally there for that one. <laughs> yeah, you, you weren't. So, yeah, you don't have to take any credit for it, right? <laughs> but, but I watched it on YouTube. It seemed uh, fun from what I saw. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to watch them um, go crazy with it. But yeah, tell us about RPG Stress Test, the idea for that, and you know how that's been going so far. After our success with Fetty Scum, we wanted to do something that had a bit more variety to it. Because Gundam has a bit of buy-in 
and Fetty Scum, as a result, has a bit of buy-in that is required. If you're not interested in Gundam, or even a specific type of Gundam, if you're not interested in Universal Century Gundam, then uh, you might not be interested in Fetty Scum, though we do have people who've said they never watched Gundam before our show, which boggles my mind, but uh, welcome to have you. Um, (laughs) So we wanted to do something where we could change up the players, change up the games on a, on a weekly basis, initially is how it was planned. Usually things get multiple parts because guest GMs or whoever's GMing the system can't really do it in, you know, one tight session. And so, you know, we do it yeah. in two or three. We break it out into multiple parts. It was mostly Dallas's baby and Dallas's idea. And he's the one who kind of picks out, you know, the order of the episodes, what's going to make it into a season, stuff like that. I'm usually a player, very rarely a DM. Uh, on that one it's probably nice it is is nice it's like a little vacation so the idea behind the show is that you either reach out or or people reach out to you and say hey can we test your system or or uh you know people ask you to test it and Mm -hmm. and you just kind of put it through the ringer and, and see how it goes right yeah we put it through um what we call basically drunk friends playing it test because that you know you you hear the expression uh no plan survives the first encounter with the enemy a lot yes uh well this goes for rpg games as well and the enemy is your drunk friends who don't want to know the rules that is your stress test that is that is how we operate (laughs) (laughs) yeah don't show up expecting a too in-depth critique of minute mechanics we are we're we're giving you the real stress test here all right (laughs) and given the nature of tabletops you know probably half of tabletop games that are played out there are like this anyway right exactly uh, exactly it's the dose of reality that that you need yeah (laughs) (laughs) i guess uh, you know you don't have to speak for dallas but if someone wanted their system to get played on RPG stress test, who could they reach out to? And and are you currently accepting new systems or new suggestions? We're always open to accepting new systems, new suggestions, and you can contact the RPG stress test Twitter. That would probably be the best, quickest way to get a response. Uh, mm. DMs should be open, or you can just at them on the main timeline if you wanted to. Uh, sorry, X, X.com. Sorry, misspoke. Sorry, silly me. <laughs> Silly me. Wow. <laughs> How dare you? I'm going to tell you on. Uh, <laughs> all right. So back to Fetty Scum then. Um, mm-hmm. Are you ever planning on releasing the system to the public? You know, what's the timeline looking like there? Uh, I do plan on releasing it to the public. I always plan on releasing it for free because uh, a lot of the things are going to be community led once I get it to a point where I'm like, okay, this is the core system. And I was going to uh, open it up for because I have a lot of people in my discord and in my circles who are interested in just making stuff for it Mm -hmm. in terms of varieties of mobile suits, obscure mobile suits, obscure weapons, etc, etc. Once it reaches that state, I plan on just letting it go. And so it would be eventually free and public for anyone to contribute or edit or hack, do whatever you please with. I don't exactly own the Gundam IP, so I right. can't exactly do much with it. But in terms of uh, timeline, I'm I'm hoping before the end of Fetty Scum, which uh, we have like probably another two or three years generously, just given on content, there is kind of a I wouldn't say there's a hard end to the Universal Century, but there there comes a point where the early Universal Century ends and late Universal Century begins, and uh, it becomes difficult to play in that little middle period where there's not much. All right, so within the next couple of years, we'll say is the soft deadline. 
Um, yes. <laughs> cool. Cool. I like it. All right. With your game design, with your um, running the show, all of the other different systems you've run, what are some of the, you know, if you had to boil down your advice or wisdom to folks out there running games or, or trying to create their own games or creating content out there? Uh, I know that's kind of three distinct groups, but yeah, what, what's some advice you have for, for those folks or some um, encouragement? In terms of creating content, I would say be more impulsive. I always mm. wanted to make content to some degree, but I always had a bit of a strange perfectionist streak that kind of made me incapable of finishing things. And so I would just say pull the trigger on it. Don't even half tease it or half set yourself up to fail or succeed however you want to see it by like you know saying oh i'll get this done in this time publicly or something like that no just 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 release it just start working on it publicly we started fetty scum pretty much knowing that like if me and dallas never set a date for that first recording we would probably keep kicking the can down the road for probably up to maybe another year or indefinitely but we just effectively decided hey we're reasonably ready let's just go ahead and do it it's been a pretty decent motto obviously don't do that with everything (laughs) it's not necessarily great advice with everything right but for content Um, i think it is yeah how about about Um, people who are out there designing games or thinking about designing games don't reinvent the wheel some people enjoy it some people uh, have fun with that stuff and some people are very talented at it i've met a lot of creators with stress tests through stress tests mm-hmm. who are um the systems and ideas that they're coming up with and the new approaches they're taking to kind of how to how to focus games and uh challenge kind of expectations and assumptions in games and how we interact with them it's brilliant it's not me uh, <laughs> but uh to amateur game designers i can say don't reinvent the wheel and just steal steal stuff just admit you stole it just say i took it from here most game designers are fine as long as you're like, hey, I, I took it from this system. Props to that guy. <laughs> I don't know anybody who wouldn't be flattered if you were if you were doing that kind of thing. As long as you're not trying to profit off it, right? Yeah, of yeah, 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 yeah. I, 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 yeah. Some people have like an open license and stuff like Powered right. by the Apocalypse. You just have to say the game's Powered by the Apocalypse, Blades in the Dark. Obviously, they have specific licenses for that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Smaller creators, you might want to reach out for them and be like, hey, can I use this system? But uh, for free stuff, you'd be hard pressed to find someone who will give you a hard time for referencing a thing and then saying, hey, I got this from this and here it is and uh, not charging money for it. And last but not least, GMs, DMs, people out there running games. It kind of ties in with the first advice. I would say don't be afraid to take risk when at your table in terms of where you want to take the story, flying at the seat of your pants, improving. Or just in even in planning, we're at a table, we're rolling dice, it's about taking risks, playing the odds, trying new things in storytelling. It's not a movie. You won't have to reshoot the scene. You won't have to bring the actors all back. You can try a weird scene. You can just do that. <laughs> and all your lose out of it is five minutes of time. Hey, if it's really bad, all the players and you can collectively agree it didn't happen. Hand wave it, retcon it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so have fun with it, take risks. Last but not least, where can people find you, find the podcast you're on, the work that you do, and then anything you want to plug, any upcoming things on RPG Stress Test or uh, upcoming things on Fetty Scum that that uh, people can look forward to? You can find me on Twitter, primarily. 
Uh, if it's still around, I don't know. It might not be. At A underscore Mac underscore 0079, and I go by A Mac on most other things. I think that's my Discord handle, too. Uh, my DMs are open, I believe. Same thing with uh, Tumblr. I think I'm on that. Uh, have a YouTube. In terms of upcoming projects, we're working on a Vampire the Masquerade project uh, mm. with uh, 5th edition titled Blood and Sun. And uh, we're recording the pilot for it like next week. This is under the Dead Set umbrella. Mm-hmm. Fun, fun. Yep. So that'll be a good one. It's going to be a one-on-one game. So it'll be just me and the player. And, we're and are you doing it. rotating players or is it just one particular person? Or, just or how's one it player through an entire chronicle. Mm-hmm. Sounds interesting. Cool. FreddyScum.com is the website for Freddy Scum. So I'll include links to all of the websites and uh, the shows and stuff. So you can all go check that out if you would like. Hit up AMAC if you have questions about amateur game design, professional game design. He's ready for that. If you want to geek out about Gundam or about Gunpla or, you know, whatever, uh, he is your guy. So, all right. Thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Now for a sneak peek into next week's guest, Neil, the creator of the Fey Earth role-playing game, actual play podcast, and upcoming Kickstarter. Most people's first Kickstarter fails. That's a simple statement of fact. Yeah. If you look into the stats, like it's and it's quite a high failure rate. It's like over 70%, I think, of, of first Kickstarter attempts fail. So it's quite hard. To hear more from Neil about the difficulties of Kickstarter, designing a new game from the ground up, and creating a fun and engaging actual play, tune in next week.